This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, look. Today, today, we will talk some football today. We know that. We're gonna talk some football. We've got some great football guests, starting off with Ryan Harris. Uh, we got Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones, okay, we got some football people in the building, Natalie. But before we get to that, I'm a stand up person. I was not running from you. I was just I taking some time off. I just okay. I just needed some time. I needed some time. You know what? Honestly, I needed some time to process what happened in the NBA finals because I was as sure of a Celtics win over the Warriors as I've been sure of anything. I mean, now, Quiet as this cap, Natalie. Uh, before I talk to you about my Celtics in six prediction. Oh, that's cruel. <laughs> I'm just gonna throw it up there. He's gonna throw it up there right now. He's gonna throw it up. He's gonna throw the pictures up. Next thing you know, you're gonna have that night night thing from Steph because Natalie's already wearing a night night shirt. That's for you. Stand that thing. Anyway. <laughs> before, before I told you on air that it was going to be Celtics and six. I said in Boston, I said, if it worked from all the respect I have for Steve Kerr, I might call, I might call for a Celtics sweep. I actually said that. All the respect for Steve so Kerr, not Stephen Curry. Uh, no, not, I was talking about Steve Kerr, right? I was even talking about Steve Kerr. So yeah. uh, the Celtics mm-hmm. got, the Celtics did get swept when they were up two to one. Uh, they got swept three straight games. They lose the finals four to two. You told me so. So go ahead and tell me why you're so right and why I just have a hard time getting it. Go ahead, tell me. Go ahead, tell me. Well, <laughs> I don't know that we have enough time for me to break it all down, but uh, <laughs> I mean, you were wrong and the masses are wrong, largely because you all underestimate Stephen Curry. So let's just be clear. Right. I'm going to say this. He is the best player in the NBA. I don't care what anyone else has to say. I don't care. It's not Giannis. Although he has, he's in the conversation for it. It's most certainly not Katie, and I can't wait for Vince to be back on so we can talk about that. Um, and it's not any other taller, more athletic, bigger player that you guys will tell me is the best player in the world. It's Stephen Curry, and because you guys underestimate him, because he's I don't know, light skin, pretty, whatever it is, oh, whatever issues oh, wait, wait, people have with oh, him. <laughs> No, because that's some of it. Hey, I'm just saying. Hey, okay, that's, that's got why. nothing to do with it. For me. It does. That's got nothing. Not for you. That's it. Not for you. It's not the light skin thing. It's a it's a night night thing. You. It's a night night thing. I hate that. Oh, I hate that. The night night thing didn't Hello. exist before the series started. Well, it did, but it hasn't been around that long. That's not the reason why you underestimate him. You said Jason Tatum would be the best player in the series. I did. Or was that. better. I did. Like and he shot on, Michael. And he shot he, he shot like 34%. From the field, he, he was Jason Tatum shot like sixty. He shot like sixty something percent from the line. How many air balls did he have in the series? How many turnovers did he him. have in the series? It was Jason Tatum did not underperform in the NBA Finals. Jason Tatum was bad. 
He was bad in the NBA finals, right? Not, and not and not bad in the vernacular sense. He was just bad. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't want to. I don't want to pick on him though because he owned it. He had like a recent interview that came out with Taylor Ricks. That's Taylor Rooks. That's really good. It was great talking about yeah, it. She's yeah. Great. So so like he owned it. It was his first NBA performance, um, and he wasn't bad the whole finals. Like he was pretty good in game one. You were all excited, right, about the assists and the playmaking. So he yeah, had yeah. his moments, and he, he had big moments shot. in the postseason because he wasn't shooting well. That's why he was. <laughs> That's why he had so but many. That was assists by design. Couldn't make a shot. That was by design. No, I never said that. I never no, said I'm saying that. the you know, Warriors. The war. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, like, maybe so the war was I'm by saying, design. Right, the Warriors put him in that position, and I felt like he capitalized on it and playmake and still helped his team get the win. So I thought that was actually one of his best games in the postseason. Okay, look, I know we got a lot more on this, uh, and you got a lot more gloating to do, and I, I, I'm here for it. I just, and you know, it's just so unfortunate. When you take the L like I did, I just took an L, you have to accept it. So when you say things like, Steph Curry is the best player in the NBA, I have to sit here and take it for about five or 10 minutes, but we coming back to that. <laughs> you don't have you say to he's the best in the league. Now I've been it was the that. best over the summer. You say he's the best player in the NBA. Didn't you just say that? I've been saying that though. Like it's not because they just won. Oh. He's been the best, right? So how, well, so how long, how long before we get to Ryan Harris, tell me how long <laughs> Steph Curry has been there. I'm just, I'm curious now. Now. Okay. Now you got my attention. Um, how long has Steph Curry been the best player in the NBA since he won unanimous MVP? Is that what is that? Was that the, the point where he became the best yes, player in the I league? Yes, I think since 2016. Some people would say 2015. But yes, I mean, it's, it's been his league since then. Like, what are we doing? Oh, stop. Stop. It has. Okay. Look, he, okay. he wasn't the best player on those on those middle two finals teams. He wasn't? He was not better than Kevin. He wasn't better than Kevin Durant. And so 16. why is Kevin Durant getting swept and getting swept in Brooklyn? <laughs> Different conversation. So then why is that happening? Oh, okay. Hold okay. on, hold that thought. Hold that thought. I love it. I love it. I love it. We just we just priming the pump. We're priming the pump. But we're gonna talk some football today and uh, bringing our brother, yet another brother from another. We got Ryan Harris. You can see he's always ready for action. Well dressed, well spoken, everything. Uh, well researched. Okay, you make well me feel underdressed. <laughs> I, uh, both of us, both of us. But no, Ryan, I, I do. I, I gave you all these compliments. I wish I could give the team that you cover, uh, the Denver Broncos. I wish I could give them as many compliments as I've given you because now I'm starting to wonder. Ooh, ooh, what's going on? What's going on with the Broncos? I saw, uh, I saw quite a beatdown the last. I know it's preseason, but are you, are you? Getting a little bit worried about this uh, this team that's gotten a lot of love in the preseason. Well, well, before the preseason started. Well, the concern definitely is rising here for Broncos country. Um, the run game. I've been at training camp. The run game hasn't really popped. The important thing to remember, though, the Broncos haven't started any of their of their starting skill players, including Russell Wilson. And especially against the Bills, yes, they got beat by almost over 30. But the Bills started all their starters. I mean, Josh Allen went three for three on the first drive. You know, Stephon Diggs had a reception. Defensive starters. Shaq Lawson played into the fourth quarter of a preseason game. I don't know if he made the coach mad or what, but there's definite I mean, concern. He's about to get cut, in, right? He's yeah, about to get yeah, cut. <laughs> but there's, there's definite concern 
in Broncos country because the run game's not there. And you just, you have to take coach's word on the production from the skill receivers, but they did have a great practice against the Cowboys, but the Cowboys are the Cowboys at the same time. So the concern is rising here in Denver. What do you think, Nat? What do you got for him? Yeah, I mean, I actually want to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on Russell Westbrook. I mean, not Russell, Russell Wilson joining the team. Um, you know, some like there have been some recent rank, <clears throat> rankings that have come out. Ooh, something in my throat. <clears throat> and um, there have been some recent rankings and some people are saying like he's being underrated. Some people think he's being overlooked. So what are your thoughts on his addition to the team and like what he'll do? Because I'm excited to see him play. Well, the first thing is even with missing games last year, Russell Wilson was still top 10 in completions and yardage over 30 yards. So he has one of the best deep balls in the entire NFL. And the other thing I can tell you from winning a championship, he's bringing that experience into a very young team that lacks any playoff experience. And some of those things that make a difference are, hey, it does matter to get out to the practice field on time. It does matter to have a great blitz period. But then there's off the field things that you really can only learn from a champion in the NFL in professional sports. Ticket requests, they don't matter, right? And I told my younger players when I was in the NFL, hey, my family comes in at Saturday at 2 p.m. And I leave for the hotel at 3 p.m. Your job is not to make your family happy while you chase a championship. They were just fine before you went on this journey. They'll be fine again. So not only does Russell Wilson bring that deep ball, that big play excitement, but he also creates opportunities for players to become professionals off of the field without having any playoff experience. What, what are, are you your thinking about? On... The... Go ahead, go ahead, Natalie. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh. No, I'm sorry. What are your thoughts on him? Like the comments he made kind of like basically almost like he's going to be more involved in the offense or I guess maybe decision making around that. Um, do you think that's a good thing? Bad thing? What are you expecting from that? Well, that's par for the course for veteran quarterbacks who won a Super Bowl and played in two and talking to George Payton. I said, how much do you talk to Russell? And he said, I talk to Russell every day. Now, some of that could just be about, hey, I saw this guy. You know, Michael's doing fantastic in the red zone. Are you liking what he's bringing to the roster? Should we put him on? You know, those conversations can be many things. But you should have your quarterback a part of what's going on, especially offensively. Playing with Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger, I can tell you, they absolutely had input on everything from the food, travel, to their actual roster. So that's par for the course. And it's interesting to me, uh, a little bit inconsistent, that people want to point that out for Russell Wilson, especially considering Tom Brady just took 10 days off in the middle of training camp. So a veteran quarterbacks who have won a championship get tremendous leeway in the NFL. And in Seattle, I'm not sure that he had that opportunity with Pete Carroll, who very much wants to be the face of the Seattle Seahawks and now is. Uh, I wonder what so many things, about that division. Wait. Yeah, what, what do you think about that division? Uh, because in the offseason, it sounds good. You know, the Broncos get Russell Wilson. You're like, oh, man, the Broncos are going to make the playoffs. And then the Chargers, you know, uh, they pick up Mack, and they pick up J.C. Jackson, who's hurt now. Oh, no, no hey, hey the, the Chargers are going to make the playoffs. And Kansas City is Kansas City, and the Raiders get Devontae Adams. But it, now when you start to play the games, you understand that, okay, yeah, you can make some additions in the offseason, but everybody's not going to make the playoffs as you look at the division now, not in the offseason when everybody looks great, but now as you look at it, as we're close to the start of the regular season, 
how do you assess it versus how you assessed it in April or May? Well, I believe that people are not giving the Chargers enough credit. You're absolutely right, Michael. I mean, they got Khalil Mack. J.C. Jackson was a huge pickup. And if their coach can actually learn how to call a field goal, they're in the playoffs last year. That's a <laughs> dynamic group. They got some, some offensive line help in the draft as well. And then you look at the Kansas City Chiefs. Do not sleep on Juju Smith-Schuster going to the Kansas City Chiefs. That's going to be a big pickup. Now, yes, the, the Raiders got Devontae Adams, but I've also had Josh McDaniels as a head coach. There's a lot to be desired, and he turns off the locker room pretty quickly. So I don't. I think you're going to see the Raiders at the bottom of the AFC West, and it's going to be a dogfight between the Broncos, Chargers, and Chiefs. And really, all three of them could theoretically be in the playoffs if two teams, you know, had that 11 and five, 11 and six record and are wild card teams. But you may see a 10 win team from the AFC West on the road in the in the wild card round of the NFL playoffs this year. Absolutely. I want to um, go back to something you said when you were like, you were kind of surprised at like the way people are reacting to Russell Wilson, because this is normal. What, what do you think it is about him? Why they're reacting differently to him versus other quarterbacks who this is par for the course? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a very complex question, you know, as you know, but I, part of it could just be the fact that people haven't seen Russell Wilson, you know, because on that West Coast, there's a tremendous bias, whether it's basketball, baseball, NFL, hockey, you know, the East Coast games get seen. So I don't think people have seen a lot of Russell Wilson. I mean, you ask most people, their only memory of Russell Wilson is, ha is not handing the ball off to Marshawn Lynch, right? <laughs> so that's part yeah. of it. And, and I think there's also just a, there's an amnesia effect in the NFL, right? Whether it's, hey, you know, we're doing enough for this group or we're, we're trying to make changes or things like I played with Tim Tebow. He was a very different guy, you know, and he and he was honest. And the thing I loved about him is he was genuine all the way through. But even here in Denver, you're hearing people say, well, he, he talked, you know, he's so he, he's so, you know, cavalier. He's talking in a different way. I always feel like I'm in a boardroom. I'm like, well, well how did Tim Tebow talk? How does Tom Brady talk? How does Aaron Rodgers right. talk? So. You know, and all of us who are parents, we know you have to change your language at times, right, to to make sure the message gets across. I just don't – I think it's a, a combination of Russell Wilson not being known to many people, and then you got, you know, his, his wife, Sierra, is a musician. So people, I don't think, have seen him and understand how hard he works. I called the game last year for Westwood One when they were playing – the Steelers were playing the Seahawks, and Russell was out. But he was going through drills, you know, calling plays, making hand signals. And I got down to the field, and he was still going. I said, Russ, what are you doing? And he looks at me. He goes, we're in the fourth quarter, Ryan. And he turns back and goes to it. So that's the kind of work ethic that Russell Wilson has. And I believe people just haven't seen that. And I think we're forgetting how much we love when the cheesy talk and things like that come from other players from a different background. Yeah, so I like the way you said that, Ryan. You said it's a, uh, it's a complex question. Are there any other complexities there? Because you brought up a couple of them. Do you want to do you want to drill down some more? Is it like because I, I, you know, players have backed away from it. I remember there was some criticism in Seattle and it was anonymous sourcing and guys never really confirmed it, but they never backed away from it either. Some players said hey, he's not black enough uh, and that that opens up a whole uh, different level of conversation. He's not one of the guys. Do you think that's that story or some of those stories about Russell Wilson continue to 
kind of hover over him today when people get into analysis of who he is and what kind of team builder he is from the quarterback position. Absolutely. I mean, as a multiracial guy, and, and thank you, Natalie, I heard I heard you repping for us, Obama black, light-skinned brothers, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But absolutely, you live life on a bridge <laughs> when you're multiracial, right? And mm. whether it's you're not good enough for Ooh, one group or another. <laughs> say that say again. again. Oh, say yeah, it, you live on a bridge again, when you're Ryan. multiracial. You live on a bridge because mm. you see... Woo. You know, you go to the barbershop. Oh, man, you can't get no haircut anyway. Man, I got this beautiful goatee. I need to get trimmed up. You know, you're always explaining yourself. And the unique thing about living on the bridge is you see the constant inconsistencies uh, that people will apply. And no doubt, hey, I'm happy to do a cannonball in the pool. I mean, the fact that Russell Wilson has never had, or I think it's like one or two votes for MVP, that's insane. I mean, we're not hold, we're not being consistent in the standards that we hold. And the fact that you're hearing more about rookie quarterbacks who are not going to have a great season than Russell Wilson, who's been to two Super Bowls and won one, shows that inconsistency. And that's part of our job, too, as media members, is to highlight that inconsistency and give people an opportunity to just enjoy the game of football like they're enjoying the return uh, of brother from another. <laughs> I like, I like that. that. Smooth. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Ryan. Uh, let, let's switch. And, you know, my allegiance is to uh, the greatest university, one of the greatest universities in the land, not just the United States, but in the world. That's the Ohio State University. So <laughs> I'm wondering, I'm wondering, uh, is Notre Dame, is Notre Dame about that life? Is Notre Dame ready for Ohio State to begin the season? That's a really tough ask for that team and specifically the head coach, coaching officially his second game, but really his first regular season game against Ohio State. Are they ready? Absolutely. This is why you go to Notre Dame. Notre Dame could beat the Pac-12, ACC, and Big Ten champion in the regular season. And this is exactly why Notre Dame gives you the best opportunity on the field and off the field with its education. You don't run from these games. And listen, the road is real. In college football, you're going to have to beat USC, Ohio State. And if you're a championship-caliber team, it doesn't matter where or when that game happens. It's an opportunity for you to whoop someone's tail. And what I love is Marcus Freeman has been so intent on the staff that he put around these players. He got Al Golden from the Super Bowl-losing Cincinnati Bengals to come and coach defense, right? He's got plenty of different talented players and coaches, but coaches who have played the game, which is a huge difference when it comes to installing philosophies and plays and knowing when to call the right plays. And one of the things I love, too, I talked to one of the stars at Notre Dame, and he said, you know, last year I really only talked to my coach during, during practice and never had a cell phone number, never talked to him about life. I meet with Marcus Freeman every day. And his coaching hit, hits different. It's like when someone, it's like your mom giving you advice versus a stranger, you know his coaching is better because you know he loves you. And that's a tremendous difference. And the thing we always miss in the college football game are these are young, developing athletes. They need role models and they need expectations. And not only has Marcus Freeman done that himself, but he's put a staff around him that wants the best for the kids, has experience, and has experience playing the game. It's going to be a fun one to watch. I'll give you the old Mortimer bet, Michael. I'll bet you a dollar. We'll go, we'll go Mortimer. We're back in business, baby, because we're taking that. We're taking that <laughs> win week one, baby. You said one dollar. Okay, one dollar. Okay. All right, look, I'll take that. I'll take that. I can't wait. I can't wait.
Um, can we just go back to the NFL really quickly? I do have one more question for you on the Broncos since, you know, that's your specialty. Um, I'm curious. I, I saw earlier um, that in the summer, Condoleezza Rice has become a part owner um, in the Broncos. And she, she, she'll be, what, I think, the second Black woman who's part owner um, for the team or part of the ownership group. So has that had, like, I don't know, what's been the reaction to that? Does it matter? Is her ownership large enough that it even matters? Or is it just like the name? I'm just curious, like what the reaction is around the organization to her becoming a part owner and what it means for the Broncos in terms of having a, another black woman who's part of the ownership group. Well, it absolutely matters. I mean, I have three kids and my middle's my daughter and we were watching the news and my daughter turns to me and she goes, women can be in sports too? I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. Right. And not only that, you got Melody Hobson. I mean, she's on the board, she, former CEO and on the board at Starbucks. And then they brought Lewis Hamilton. You can't get more bulletproof than those three to bring to an ownership group. And I really credit the Walton Penner family because this is what they wanted. Greg Penner, who's kind of going to be the managing member there of that ownership group said, we always want diverse perspectives. It gives us a better chance to win. It gives us a better chance to compete. So they understand how powerful diversity is. Remember for all of us, hiring and retaining diverse staff increases revenue 19%. So the Walton Penner group wanted to get diversity on its, in its ownership group. Not only did it get that, it got arguably the three best people you could get in that regard. I mean, Lewis Hamilton has over 100 wins, the most wins ever in F1, seven world championships. And this is a dynamic group that all of a sudden made the Broncos the coolest organization in the NFL. I love it. I love it, Ryan Harris. Uh, talking about dynamic group, dynamic broadcaster, you are. And you did a great job here, save for your, uh, I guess, misplaced Notre Dame prediction. Other than that, <laughs> If I'm grading you, uh, it's at like 9.5 out of 10, 9.75. I mean, look, I want a but it's crisp $1 bill. I want it crisp I got when you. I get it from you in I'm September. Gonna crisp $1. I'm going to up it to five. I'm going to up it to five. <laughs> I'll give you five with a win. It's not going to happen. I want, my, I want my dollar bill. I want it all pennies. I want it all pennies to kind of replicate all those Buckeyes we get on the helmets. Oh, those are Penny. Buckeyes. You put that picture in front of somebody. Buckeyes, not the word that's going to come out. I tell you what, you just got you got <laughs> served by Natalie and company. You sure you want to say that the team's going to win for sure? I mean, you ain't got a good track for record sure. recently. I don't want to tap. I, I don't want to tiptoe here. Listen, you're gonna be you're gonna be loud. If you're gonna be wrong, be loud and wrong, loud and wrong. Hey, Ryan, I love it. Always good to see you, brother. Uh, come back soon. See you soon. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. These skills that Kevin Durant has that y'all all love and glorify the guys who allegedly don't have those skills, <laughs> they've done more for their franchises. And that's just like a fact. And all we ever do is get excuses bailing him out. Get him.
We get shoe sizes when there was a whole. I mean, a whole. I'm sorry, a whole. Oh, oh yes, yes, no, 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 it's a show. There was a whole overtime, and all I hear about is a guy shoe size. Get him. Kevin Durant chose Brooklyn. He chose mm -hmm. Kyrie Irving as his teammate. They didn't want a very good coach and Kenny Atkinson, who was there. There. These are all things that they wanted. Get I think players like Kevin Durant, he's not the only one. There's other players who come with high maintenance. And what I'm saying is Tim Duncan, Stephen Curry, Giannis, players like that have showed us you don't have to be like that and you can still have success. She came and took the mic from the Reverend and said, I got a story to tell. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> I can I can watch that over and over. I love that so much, <laughs> Natalie. All right, so Kevin Durant, <laughs> and this is where this is where we do agree. Now we'll we'll get to some disagreement that we'll have later, but this is where we do agree. Right. Kevin Durant, he was a culture creator. He was a culture creator in Brooklyn. Um, I guess he was sort of a culture creator in Oklahoma City, but maybe that's that. You know, do you give Sam Presti and that front office? their mentality do you give them credit for you know bringing in durant and westbrook and serge Ibaka and all you know their whole system is that the culture or did durant create the culture i don't know kind of in oklahoma city definitely in brooklyn but the one place where he was not a culture creator the culture absorbed him that was golden state so he had his he had the most success when he was not responsible for setting the culture they told him what it was and he came in and he thrived. He was awesome. He was awesome. Natalie, I don't know if you ever heard me say this. I believe this to my core. The best basketball team I've ever seen in my life, in my lifetime, best basketball team ever. Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant. Take your pick. Probably 2017. Take your pick. <laughs> they just had more than anybody that I've never seen anybody play like that offensively and defensively at just an elite level perfect played basketball the right way at, uh, explosive players but shared the ball great defense great depth great coaching i just love what kevin durant brought to that warriors team but now i don't know you answer this question for me you you saw him up close uh you really are a, a warriors guru i don't know what he's searching for I, I'm, I'm being serious here I don't know what he's looking for on his basketball journey here. You tell me, what is it? Because it, it's, it's just weird to watch this whole thing play out. Yeah, you know, I can't fully, I can't really answer that for Kevin because obviously I, I, I don't know him personally. Um, and he's, he has like a really interesting relationship with the media. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, like sometimes he talks, sometimes he doesn't. And then he's like critical of things. So it's really hard to say. But I mean, from the sources that I think are reliable, I think, you know, if you if you look at OKC, I think it's interesting what you said about him being a culture setter, because I would actually say that he probably hasn't set a culture anywhere he's been. He didn't have to in Golden State, but I would say the culture in OKC probably once Russ came more revolved around Russ. And I think in Brooklyn, Kev Kevin Durant just wants to hoop. 
right? He wants to show up and he wants to yeah. hoop. And he said in Golden State, like, I'm not here to lead. I, you know, I don't want to be a leader. Steph's the leader. And so I don't think that's really his thing to like go in and set the tone and lead the franchise and kind of say, this is how we're going to be. But I think that we expect that of our superstars, right? And of the best in the league, that's what we expect them to do. And I think that's probably the disconnect. He's not that person and that's okay because not everyone is meant to be a leader in that way, right? He's meant to go out and perform and be great. And, but I do think they need someone to be a culture setter in Brooklyn that the, the players will respect and listen to. And it may not be Steve Nash. I don't know who that is. I was just having this discussion on my podcast the other day, but maybe it's someone like a Patty Mills. Like I know that he's like a six man or comes off the bench, but Patty he's come from an Orioles. I say that Patty only because Mills? he's come, he's come from the okay. Spurs. He's yeah. come from the Spurs. He's come from a winning organization. He has won. I'm just saying, I don't know who that player is. It's not going to be Kyrie Irving. We know that, right? And those are the two best players on the team. It's not going to be Ben Simmons. So it's like by default, right. we're saying it has to be Kevin Durant, but that's not his personality. Um, I think Kevin just wants to go out and hoop. That's what I think he wants to do. He wants to go out and hoop and be regarded as one of the best, if well, not the best. But you know, if, if I like the way you said that, if he just wants the ball, and that, and that's okay, that's okay. You can do that in certain certain situations. It worked in Oakland slash San Francisco. They shouldn't have moved from Oakland. Uh, anyway, uh, it worked out there. Agreed. And so, um, you can do it if you've got the right personnel on your team. If if you've got Draymond and you've got Steph and you got Clay and you got leadership that says, okay, we got enough, but we don't need you to do everything. Just go out there and score your thirty points. Uh, per game in the NBA Finals or more. Go ahead and do your thing, and we got you on the rest of the stuff. In Brooklyn, that would see like if, if what you say is true, he should be fine, right? If what you say is true, if he just wants to hoop, and now he's not, if they're not trading him right now, if you look at their team, team's pretty good. Now, yeah, I agree. I think. I think they're wired in a way where they can't win a championship. That's a different story. <laughs> Just like personality-wise. But personnel-wise, ooh, ooh, they're good. They're good. So if Kevin Durant just goes and plays ball and doesn't worry about if Sean Marks is still the GM, doesn't worry about what Steve Nash is doing as a head coach, doesn't worry about anything else, doesn't worry about the media, doesn't worry about what Charles Barkley is saying or what Natalie is saying or anybody else, you would you would think that this is going to work, but I don't think he just wants to hoop. What do you think? I don't he think wants? he wants to anymore. I think he you don't think he wants to, to hoop anymore. No, I think he not just. I think of course he still wants to play, but I, when he said that in that press conference, he was complaining about who's the guy, Ethan Strauss, whatever, some reporter out in Golden State. Mm -hmm. He was complaining about him. <laughs> he comes in, this guy comes in writing all the time. I just want to play ball and go home. I think he was just frustrated, but I don't think he wants to just play ball and go home. I, I look just like Kobe when Kobe rest in peace when Kobe won his uh, when he won his fifth championship when he won his fifth championship. He was like one more than check. I got one more than check right. when Jordan when Jordan won six. What do you do? See that famous picture you're going around going six. Of course. I got six. I think Kevin Durant wants the ball, but he wants to be a champion. He wants to, I think there's a count in his head. 
I think he wants to win a he wants the ball, but he wants to win a championship too. I think he wants to stay in this conversation. He doesn't want to hear people like Natalie saying that Steph Curry is the best player in the NBA or now that Steph has won a finals MVP and Steph has four championships now. Now Steph's on LeBron's level. You heard that a lot after the Warriors won. I think that bothers him. So yeah, he wants to ball, but I think he wants to ball and I think he wants a little bit more than that. Maybe he wants to be seen as a leader on his terms. Maybe he doesn't lead like LeBron leads, doesn't lead like Giannis leads, but I think he wants to be seen as something other than just a very talented freak of a ball player. Yeah, so when I say he wants to hoop, of course he wants to win, right? Like that's why he was asking to get traded. Um, but he wants to do it on his terms, right? Like Kevin Danny? Durant and Ky I don't think so. I mean, Kevin Durant no. and Kyrie Irving, they have a certain brand of basketball they like to play, right? And um, like before he came to Golden State and initially he was all in on like the type of basketball that they played, right? But over time, he didn't enjoy that. Like he wants you to put the ball in his hand and let him go work, you know? That's what he wants to do. And I don't know that that's a conducive, the way that him and Kyrie want to play is a conducive, you know, style of basketball, right? And so when I was on before, I brought up like, they let a coach like Kenny Atkinson go. And I get it that he didn't have like the background of like winning championships and all that but he's an experienced coach, a very experienced coach. Yeah. And I think that he would have done a lot more to put like an actual structure and system in right. place to help them go play a brand of basketball that would be conducive to winning, right? I yeah. think Steve Nash came in and it was just like, yeah, I'm the coach, but basically Kyrie and Kevin Durant get to do what they want to do. I'm smiling because I just, the irony is just perfect. You mentioned Atkinson <laughs> and Atkinson. Not only did Steph Curry win a championship without Durant <laughs> uh, in the summer. So did Kenny Atkinson and yep. <laughs> Atkinson takes it to another level. Atkinson is offered a head coaching job, Turns accepts it, it and then said, nah, 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 nah. I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> I no, like this thing we got though. going. <laughs> I, Do you I'm imagine going, like I'm, how great it has to be for you to turn down a job like after you accept it and then remain an assistant? Especially now, I think it, it can only happen in basketball. Like in football, the difference between the, the pay between assistant coach and head coach is just so dramatic. It's just so dramatic, you know, different story. And I, I, I'll just I'll just drive by it. We'll talk about it another day. There's a big story here in, in Boston from Patriots fans upset with Bill Belichick right now saying, hey, you know what? They should have they should have had they should have had uh, Josh McDaniels stay. He's now the head coach of the Raiders. They should have had him stay. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Y'all understand Josh McDaniels got a 100% raise. Yeah, he got a 100%. Just, just, just let that just, just wrap your mind around a 100% raise with power. So you got a you got a title. You got money. And you got power and as much as people want to talk about how that doesn't matter. It matters to a lot of people getting more money and more power and it gets to live in Vegas. <laughs> like, come on. Of course he was going to take it. But Kenny Atkinson uh, to turn down that job. The money must not have been a 100% raise from what he's making uh, with the Warriors. I just can't imagine.
that he turned that down. Yeah, he's paid anyway, well on the Warriors coaching staff, like a head coach, I'm told, or I've heard. So, so, so tell me this. Tell me this before we uh, before we uh, talk some more football with Mike Jones. And I'm just, I'm, I'm not really gonna argue with you. I just want to hear. <laughs> I just want to hear your process. So you think Steph Curry has been the best player in basketball since he won unanimous MVP. So this is LeBron. You got LeBron. You got KD on his team on his own okay. team collecting and? two finals MVPs collecting two finals MVPs in the process. We should revisit whether that should have happened. Come on. Come on. Really? You tell me right. when the commentators, me, no, when the commentators, when the commentators are on, okay, so when the commentators are on TV saying they're just leaving the lane wide open because they're so afraid of the three, right? And Kevin Durant has wide open lanes to the rim, right? Something he's not okay. getting in Brooklyn, right? right. Or when Ty Lu says in an interview. Yeah, Kevin Durant's gonna score his points. He's, you know, he's Kevin Durant, but Stephen Curry is the head of the state snake. He's the most dangerous player. When he gets going, everything is going. They're unstoppable, right? Who is really the more valuable player? Who's the better player? Like, I feel like when best players are assessed, it's often talked about like in individuality, right? They can do this, they can do that. It's like we're assessing mm -hmm. them in a one-on-one -on -one game of basketball, but NBA basketball is a team sport, right? So it's okay. it's kind of like Kareem versus Magic, right? Like there are some people who think Magic is the better player. Why? Because Magic elevated, he made players around him better, right? So even if you want to say that individually Kevin Durant is more skilled, which I would say is a debatable conversation, but even if you want to say that, there is no debate on who elevates their teammates and makes them better. It is clear. Every metric and number shows that. That's the better player. The player who gets me the better result is the better player. I don't care about all your finesse, how you can dribble, how you can handle. To an extent, yes, those things matter. But why do those things matter if the result is that someone who has less skill or is shorter is getting me the better result? That's the player that's better. Period. That's how I that's how I reason. Okay. All right. So I know you disagree, but No, I know, I know. I'm listen, I, I told you I'm just here to listen. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna let it all sink in. I'm gonna let and it we'll sink in. <laughs> then, then we'll talk to Mike Jones, and then after we okay. talk to Mike Jones, we'll talk about it some more. Okay. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll keep talking about it. We're gonna talk about it next week. We'll talk about it the week after. We'll keep going. But I like I like the way you're thinking of this. I like the way you're thinking of it. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Early in camp, Randall Cobb asked you in front of your locker, said Mahomes <laughs> or Rodgers, you said, I think Pat is incredibly good, but A-Rod is on a whole nother level. He's amazing how he 
controls the ball, how he put everybody in place. I've been with a lot of quarterbacks, and I've never seen them carry themselves like Aaron Rodgers. All right, look, look. Uh, joined by Mike Jones, as I said, fantastic basketball, excuse me, former basketball writer, uh, covered the Wizards back in the day, but fantastic football writer now for USA Today, writer and columnist. And I got to ask Mike, all right, what what's Sammy Watkins talking about? He pretty much said, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he's all right, but Aaron Rodgers is on a whole different level. Is that true? Do you think Aaron Rodgers is on a different level than Patrick Mahomes? Look, say he'd been with the Packers and then he went to the Chiefs, he would have been like, man, Aaron Rodgers was good, but I've never seen anybody like, you know, Patrick Mahomes. He's just saying this right now because this is what he has to say. This is where he is. Now, I'm sure there are things Aaron Rodgers does that uh, maybe he didn't see uh, from Patrick Mahomes just because Aaron Rodgers is one of the best of all time. But, I mean, come on. Uh, you, you had a very successful stint there with Patrick Mahomes. Um, and, you know, you're going from um, one, you know, expensive sports car to another one. Uh, I don't think anybody would be complaining about catching pass from either one of those. But again, if you reverse it, he would be saying something about Patrick Mahomes being more amazing uh, than Aaron Rodgers. Just like Tyreek Hill all of a sudden is talking about how yeah. great um, Tua is compared to Patrick Mahomes. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> um, I I actually wanted to ask you about Deshaun Watson in that situation. So before we switch gears, I just want to make sure Michael didn't have any follow-up to that. No, no, go ahead. No, because okay. that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a left turn, but let's make that left turn. That's a, that's it a, is. That's a well, hard left, the reason let's do it. The reason I want to switch gears is because today, I think it was today, Jacoby Brissett like responded to a question. I don't know if you've seen it, um, asking about like how tough it is to try not to be Deshaun Watson. And he goes, it's very easy for me not to be Deshaun. Um, and it felt like it was, I mean, I didn't hear the question and like the whole context, but it just, it sounded like a, a loaded uh, response or like there might've been something else that he was insinuating. So I'm, I'm curious if you know anything about this, like his response, but also just what do you think it's going to be like in that locker room and camaraderie and like how it's going to be incorporating him on on that on that team on the Browns? Well, I think look, all these guys, even if it's Jacoby Brissett, all these guys have a very healthy uh, confidence about themselves. And he probably took that as a little bit of slap in the face, um, you know, because he's like, yo, I'm Jacoby Brissett. Uh, I've won some football games. I've got talent. I, you know, I don't have to be Deshaun Watson. I can be myself and I can put teams in position to win games, um, you know? And so I think that's where he was coming from that right there. From what I gather, there's no friction between the two of those guys there. And look, Jacoby has been in that locker room um, for a while there. They knew that there was going to be a point in time where Deshaun Watson was not on the field. And that's why they went out and got somebody with a similar skill set to Deshaun Watson. Now, I'm not saying that he's anywhere close to the level of him, but he can move well. He can extend plays, um, you know, got a good arm. Again, not saying he's Deshaun Watson, but they knew that they had to get somebody with a similar skill set. And Jacoby is very confident in himself and that the coaches are going to put him in position uh, to succeed. So I don't think the Browns, um, that they're not they're not panicking about this. They feel good about Jacoby Brissett. They feel good about Josh Dobbs. And that's why, um, you know, word came out of there that they're not uh, trying to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo because they like what they have in those guys. And Jacoby Brissett knows that they have confidence in him as well. 
Well, uh, I know you won't be surprised to hear this. I think the Browns are wrong again. Um, Jacoby Brissett is not going to for, for them for them to go where they want to go and having uh, Josh Dobbs and Jacoby Brissett as the options for 11 games. That's not going to turn out well. I, that, that's my prediction, but I, I do want to ask you this because Mike Jones, I don't think we've ever had a, a real big disagreement. I think we may have one now. I think we may have one now because going back and and uh, reading your your story on uh, your your stories on Deshaun and you wrote that a settlement might be best for everybody involved might mm -hmm. be best for the league and best for Deshaun Watson and that's exactly what happened. So very astute on your part that you you called it and it pretty much played out the way that you you wrote. But my my disagreement is when you start not you but when the NFL acts with optics in mind you're already uh, playing a losing hand I just feel mm -hmm. like why did they they didn't have to make a set they didn't have to settle with uh, Watson he had no leverage and optics yeah optics is one thing but how about the just having a moral compass morally they should have <laughs> suspended Deshaun Watson for a year. If everything they said about him was true, that they felt that way, that there's a pattern of behavior, predatory behavior, it's egregious, it's unacceptable, all this stuff. If all those things are true, to hell with the optics, I think they should have suspended him for a year. Why Why do you think this was the best outcome? Okay, we have, to, we have to get to the point where we stop looking to the NFL for moral um, compass. Like, the league cares about one thing. These owners, Roger Goodell works for them. They care about money. They care about making money. They don't care about moral compass. Um, they can say what they want. They can try to send a message and that's what they tried to do. Um, they knew they weren't gonna have a leg to stand on and suspending him for a year or more than that, but they had to make it look like they were coming down hard. They knew that yes, okay, Sue Robinson was every time, any, any NFL reporter, worth you know their weight and salt knew that judge robinson was going to come down well short of a year and that roger goodell in the league was going to appeal it and then they were going to try but they knew that if they they did get peter harvey to overturn that then the nflpa was going to then sue the nfl and this whole thing was going to be dragged out in court and there's a very good chance that they were not going to get what they wanted in a year um type of suspension so that's why Yes, that was all optics, and they knew that they had to kind of um, really have a heavy-fisted approach to this to get Deshaun Watson to be willing uh, to settle. Because the thing is, is because Judge Robinson came with the six games, that made Watson and them feel a little more emboldened. But when Peter Harvey was appointed, someone who's worked with the league on a number of different projects, then his camp started feeling like, oh man, this thing isn't gonna go our way. And so that's why they were then able to reach that settlement because they knew that they had to, otherwise it wasn't gonna go well for them. And the league knew, hey, we've gotta just get this thing up from six games and we've gotta get a big financial uh, penalty. So that way we can avoid going to court. So everybody got something of what they wanted, not everything, and again, a lot of this was a lot of window dressing. It all could have been avoided in June if they had reached a settlement because the, the numbers and the games that they were talking about really didn't change from June to August when they finally reached the settlement. It was just a bunch of, uh, you know, window dressing.
Well, I get it, but I would say this. Uh, wouldn't you say that um, the NFL in court has a much stronger position? We saw that with Deflategate and Tom Brady. He tried to take it. He was, he was inches away from taking it to the Supreme Court, and then he withdrew it. He was on his way to the Supreme Court, and he knew he didn't have a chance of beating Roger Goodell. They agreed. This is collectively bargained. And once he said, I've got the final say, what are you going to do? He had the final say. So if Peter Harvey says it's going to be a year, how are you going to overturn that in court when you collectively bargain this arrangement? Because there was no standard for anything like this. And then when the NFL says in their collective bargaining agreement that owners should be held to a higher standard than the players, and then the NFLPA would point to Robert Kraft looking for his happy ending uh, down at the massage parlor. They would point to Woo! Daniel Snyder um, ruling over a toxic environment with all kinds of sexual harassment and hidden cameras and cheerleading rooms and everything like that. And they would have pointed to Jerry Jones paying off people and all kinds of allegations. So they would have been like, hey, you didn't do anything about these guys and now you want to make an example of this black quarterback right here and you went easy on Ben Roethlisberger and so the league didn't want any parts of that in a courtroom and that's why they went ahead with the settlement so I at what point and I get it because that definitely would have been like the reaction but at what point like I know you say that we shouldn't like expect certain things from the NFL. Um, and I get that because they're they're big, you know, the, the they're the big, they're the big company, organization, whatever in this. But they're the mafia basically. Yeah. But at some like, I don't think that like people should stop trying. You know what I mean? Like at some point, you do have to like come down and take a stand. So yeah, they were, I guess they came down a little harder on Deshaun than they have like in the past with like some other people. But is it best then for them to then come down really hard when it's a, a non-black offender? Like they have to start at some point. Is this the right. process to starting it? Or like, we can't just be worried about the fact that like, well, they didn't do it for the other guys. Like what Deshaun is accused of doing is, is pretty egregious. Right, right. Yes, it is. But the NFL also did a really bad job with their investigation. They were able to punch holes in their investigation. Judge Robinson threw out one of the cases they used because they didn't even talk to the women. They used newspaper articles as their evidence instead of going and doing all the homework. And so if the NFL was really serious about getting this thing right, they needed to really approach this thing meticulously and not leave um, any holes uh, for the, the arguments against them. But yes, no, the league should try. They have to be consistent though and, you know, Maybe this will be a lesson to them. Well, hopefully nothing like this happens again, but maybe it's a lesson to them that when they approach something like this, they have got to really go at this with a fine tooth comb and not just, um, you know, kind of make it look like it. And even Judge Robinson said she felt like in calling for an indefinite suspension of a year or more that the league was op um, operating um, in reaction to public outcry. Um, so if she's calling that poking those holes and then the NFLPA had all this ammunition they could go at them, the league has got to do better. Yes, players, owners, coaches, everybody should be held to a high standard. But as we know, that standard just doesn't apply. And I don't know what will change that in the league because, again, the owners continue to skate regardless of what's written in the CBA. Yeah. Mike Jones. Good stuff, man. And and next time you come back, we're going to have a basketball discussion. Okay. you did cover the All Wizards. Right. 
And since yes. you were no. agreeing off the air with Natalie, I was. Know. Best part she knows what she's talking about when it comes to staff. Seriously. Yep. Thank you. I agree. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll talk later. All right. Appreciate you, man. <laughs> You're always welcome here. <laughs> it's a marketplace of ideas. Agree, disagree, <laughs> we take them all. It's painful you love for it, you, Natalie. isn't it? You love it. <laughs> Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Okay. So there's this really funny um, challenge that's going on on NBA Twitter. Um, I'm calling it the mom challenge, but basically people are texting their mothers and asking, like, can you name five NBA players or do you know the names of players? And so this was one of the best ones that I've seen from Aman Aden, who's Aden, who's also been on the show. Um, it, she, asked, she asked her mom and Kyle Lowry, Freddie, Stephen Curry, Serge Ibaka, LeBron James, and Grease Hard name. Best thing I've heard. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Grease Hard name. That's hilarious. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.